The following audio is brought to you by Summerside Community Church in London, Ontario. For more information on Summerside, visit us online at www.summersidechurch.ca. On this day, just like any other day or any other Sunday, there are somewhere around 2 billion Christians around the world that are gathering to worship God. And as they gather, they will be doing things that they believe God would accept as worship. Things like singing, things like hearing the word of God preached, things like praying, giving an offering, or maybe serving God in some way. And those are all, those are all good things. But an interesting question that we could ask about the two billion people uh, around the world, and we can't answer this question, is the question, how many of the two billion people is God pleased with? That's an interesting question, right? But maybe we should ask the question, make it more personal, to say, of the two to three hundred people that came through the doors of Summerside this morning, how many of us is God pleased with? As I was thinking about this, I thought, you know, what if God gave us all an app that automatically appeared on your phone if you claim to be a Christian? And, and as soon as the service, as soon as Luke pronounced the benediction, your phone would turn a color. You know, green, like, yeah, that was great. Yellow, eh, not great. You know, red, like, that was, a, that was a total, total waste of time. But even as I thought about that, even thinking that represents a warped concept of how God views us. It's almost as if, you know, God is up in heaven watching us worship and saying, oh, there's an A plus or, well, that guy's a D minus. It's like, that's really bad. Or that's just an F. I mean, that's just a total fail. You see, that's the way we tend to think. And, and that's a, it's a way that it kind of reflects the, the thinking of most religion today. It's probably where the idea of purgatory came from. It's almost like, you know, if you don't, if you don't pass as you're going through life, um, on the earth, then you have to go to a hot place to remind you that you want, you need to work harder so that you don't go to a really hot place, right? It's like, try to work hard. And if you're good enough, then somehow you're going to make it through, you know, after do- doing summer school, then you can pass the course and somehow get to heaven. Well, that's not the way it works. And it shouldn't surprise us that the first event recorded in the Bible after Adam and Eve sinned, is an event about two brothers that come to worship God and one is acceptable to God and one isn't. And this is the first story that is we're going to come across in Hebrews chapter 11, this this chapter that we're studying in this, we're doing this series in. And each one of these uh, men come to worship and it helps us to see What is meant by true faith? Because this Hebrews chapter 11 that we're studying is all about faith. By faith, people do certain things. And so we're going to look at Abel as somebody that approaches God by faith in contrast to his brother Cain, who does not approach by faith. And the challenge for each of us, and my, my prayer for you today, is that you would think carefully about where you sit. Are you like Cain or are you like Abel? Are you approaching God by faith or are you approaching God in some other way? And I hope that it changes the way you think about coming to worship every Sunday. So I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. If you're not familiar with the Bible, you go to the end, just go back a, a couple of books and you'll, you'll find it there. 
Now, if you missed the intro to the series, I would strongly encourage you to just listen to it online because we talked about the whole concept of faith. What do we mean by faith? How are we supposed to think about faith? And I gave a, a, a very simple definition of faith, which I think encapsulates it. And that is faith is taking God at his word and putting it into practice. Now, that simply means God said it, I believe it, and I do something about it. I put it into practice. It's taking God at his word and putting it into practice. And in this chapter, the writer of Hebrews is taking us through history and basically through a chronological history of the Bible, pulling out key individuals that he wants to mention as people who lived by faith, who took God at his word and put it into practice. Now, before he gets into the individuals, he has this, he has this one verse that I want to just, just allude to so we don't skip over it. And it's uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3, where he starts out by saying, By faith we understand the universe was formed at God's command, so what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Now, even though no one is mentioned in these verses, it's, a, it's an important verse. And there are just two, two things I think that we, can, uh, we need to observe before we move on from these verses. Um, the first thing that this verse tells us is that we have to accept that the world was created by faith. Like, by faith, you have to accept that. It's not something I can prove. I can't prove to you God created the world. But you know what? There isn't a single person on this earth that can prove anything about how the world was created because nobody was there. So if you watch a nature show and just about every nature show on TV talks about, oh, this happened over millions of years and, and by chance this, these animals did this and they learned this and this happened and this happened. It all happened by chance. And they're saying we can, you know, and they assume that that's true. How do they know? They're believing it by faith because they're making assumptions. They're making all kinds of assumptions based on faith that this is how it happened. But nobody was back there to find out. In the same way, the author of Hebrews says, by faith, we believe that things originated with God. And the second thing that this verse uh, points out relates to the whole idea of faith, because we talk about faith as being a response to what God has said, right? Even the book of Hebrews talks about that. God spoke in the beginning. God spoke in, in Hebrews chapter one. And then here, faith is responding to what God has said. And this verse reminds us that God, that everything in creation responds to the voice of God. Because you read the book of Genesis and it's like God speaks and everything happens. He says, let the earth bring forth things and let the earth, let the water and the, and the, and the sky divide. And, and he speaks and everything, every, all of creation responds to the voice of God. And when Jesus comes, how does he do miracles? Most of his miracles... He speaks and something happens. Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus has life brought back into him and he comes out. He says, you, know, you tell somebody to be healed. He tells somebody, go, you're, you're healed. He speaks and things, everything on earth, viruses and germs and broken bones and cancers are all in the response to God's word. And so we have this concept right from the start in this chapter that the voice of God is one that we need to respond to by faith. Now, the first person that he mentions in his list of people that live by faith is Abel. We find him in verse 4. 
Look at what it says. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks dead. Now, in order to understand what he's talking about, most of the people that would have read this, the Hebrews, they would have known, oh yeah, that's Cain and Abel. I know that story. So, But for us, it's, it's helpful for us to go back to uh, Genesis chapter 4 and see the story back in Genesis. And when you turn back to Genesis chapter 4, you find that Adam and Eve had two sons. Now, they didn't just have two sons. People were living a lot longer back then. People were living, uh, Adam lived to be 930 years old. And you, you may, some people say, oh, that's impossible. Not. They're talking about, you know, things, things dealing with science. Scientists today are saying people will be able to live hundreds of years. Uh, so it's not, it's not something that's impossible. That's the way God designed things. And in a perfect world, cursed by sin, but, but fairly perfect world, just coming out of a perfect world, it's not surprised that, surprising that people lived a long time. So here, two of Adam's and Eve's sons, Cain and Abel, are, are talked about. Abel kept the flocks, and Cain was a farmer. Okay, the fact that they were doing that indicates there were a lot of other people around too. And in Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 to 5, we read, In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions, from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Now, here we have two different men bringing two different offerings to God. One from his, from his uh, animals that he was taking care of and the other one from the grain or some kind of vegeta- vegetarian kind of offering. This isn't a slam against vegetarians, by the way. It's like, it's like he, that's, what, that's what he brought. So the question is, why did God accept one and not the other? Now, there's some people that, that think, well, you know, well, God would have told them that they had to bring uh, a, an animal sacrifice, and because Cain didn't obey God, therefore God was mad. The problem with that, with with thinking about it that way is that for one thing there's no indication in genesis that god told them what to bring like it just said they came to they came to worship him the second reason why that that rationale doesn't i i I don't agree with that is because later on in exodus when the law was given when moses would have moses wrote genesis exodus leviticus numbers deuteronomy those the first five books that it was clear that in the in the law there was provision for people to bring offerings of grain or some kind of fruits or vegetables. So presenting a vegetarian offering to God was not wrong. God accepted that. So we can't say mm, he he brought the wrong thing. But the text does imply two problems here with Cain. First of all, there's a problem with the person of Cain himself, because we, we read that in presenting his offering, his heart was not right. Um, you read that it's, it's quite obvious from the events that follow, because when God confronts him for what, for, for killing his, his brother, it's like he's angry, and he's angry that God doesn't accept his sacrifice. 
he's mainly focused on himself. He's concerned with himself instead of submitting to God. When God confronts him, he doesn't say, oh, I'm sorry, I should have known better. No, he says, well, why didn't you accept me? Like, what about me? So there's a problem with the person, but there's also a problem with his offering. Because if you notice, as we read the text, it says that in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of his land, of his, of his produce. But Abel brings the fat portions from some of the firstborn of his clock, of his flock. The implication is Abel is bringing his best. Cain is bringing something. He's bringing some of his stuff. But Abel is thinking about what he's bringing. And there's a, there's a clearly a difference in heart attitude between these two men. And notice Cain's response. He gets angry because God wasn't impressed. So God confronts him in Genesis chapter four, verse six, we read, then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you but you must rule over it. It's interesting to notice the comparison in contrast with Genesis chapter four and Genesis chapter three. In Genesis chapter three, you have the story of, of Satan coming to tempt Adam and Eve and Satan comes to try to get Eve to sin, try to convince her to sin. In chapter 4, you have God coming to Cain to try to convince him not to sin. It's like two completely different situations here in how Satan approaches people and how God approaches people. And God describes the temptation in the same way that the serpent came. He describes it, he said, he warning him that sin is like an animal crouching at the door, waiting to pounce. You have to be prepared to resist temptation because if you don't, It will control you just like it did your parents. And he knew exactly what happened to his parents. Now, just on an aside observation here, nobody sins because they have to. You realize that? Every time you sin, you sin because you choose to sin. Not because you have to, not because you don't have a choice. You choose. It's, It's a choice that you make. It's a choice that we make. And the sad story continues with Cain refusing to listen to God's warning he allows anger to control him. He invites his brother out to the field to, you know, for, for something. And, and as he's out there, he kills his brother. And in verse 9, God shows up again. When God shows up, he asks Cain a question. This is interesting. Hey, Cain, where is your brother? Very similar, very, very similar to what God said to Adam and Eve. Remember, Adam and he shows up to Adam and Eve after they sin. Adam, where are you? He asks the question. He's, he's trying to, he's trying to get the people. He, he always tries to get us to recognize what we're doing and understand what's going on in our hearts. And this is Cain's opportunity to say, Oh, I'm sorry. I, sh- I shouldn't have done that. Please forgive me. But instead, his heart is hard. And his response to God, when God asks him, Where is your brother? He says, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And everybody reading this, when, they, when Moses first read that, would know the answer to that question. Because they knew that God had given the law about how we're supposed to treat God and treat others. 
And it's clear from the law that you are your brother's keeper. You need to love your neighbor as yourself. You need to care for your brother and your neighbor. You need to respond properly. But Cain doesn't take the opportunity to confess his sin and repent. And immediately he faces God's judgment. Look what what he says in verses 10 and 11. The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. God's judgment on Cain is one that just say, okay, because you do not recognize what's going on, you're, you're going to be frustrated even more now. You're not going to be able to be a farmer. You're going to be a restless wanderer. Even at this point, you'd think, okay, Cain would say, oh, I'm sorry, God, forgive me. I'm, I shouldn't have done that. But instead, Cain's response is, no, this is, you, that's too harsh. You can't be this harsh with me. And you think God would strike him dead, don't you? Sometimes God just acts out of mercy. And what we find is God responding to Cain's complaint, saying, you know what? Okay, I'll be gracious. I'll be merciful to you. And he, and he puts a mark on Cain. We don't know what that mark was. It may have been the first tattoo. I don't know. But probably was some kind of, some kind of facial mark or some kind of indication on his, on his face or his body indicating that, that he was, God was protecting him from being killed by other people. Like God was being gracious to him just like he's, he's gracious to us when we do stupid things too. So he, is gracious to God, and God responds in mercy, sparing Cain's life. Now, let's go back to Hebrews chapter 11 and summarize what we've learned from the story there. The story of Cain and Abel basically summarized two different approaches to worshiping God, or two different approaches to God. And I want to summarize these two and really focus in on why is it that Abel was considered to be righteous in approaching God and Cain wasn't. And, and I, I want to, to summarize it in a way with a statement. And here's a statement that may sound a little cheesy at first, but I, I think it'll help you to not forget what I'm talking about this morning. Here's the question. Is our approach to God just about showing up or is it about shining up? You see, when we talk about showing up, we're talking about yeah, we were there and got marked present on the attendance record, right? It's like, you know what that's like. Yeah, I was there. It's like, it's like on during COVID, you know, and I know that some, some teachers are saying kids would, would show up on online to, to get checked that they were present and they would leave, right? It's like, I was there. Yep. But shining up is like, I'm not just there, but I'm focused somewhere else. And I am giving glory and praise where it belongs. You see, showing up is horizontal. It's like, yeah, I show up and I'm just concerned about what people think of me, how well I'm doing, you know, getting, doing what I have to do. But shining up means my focus is on God. I'm giving him the praise and the glory. I'm doing what he is asking me to do, not just showing up. I'm shining up. Giving attention to God instead of just being concerned, concerned for my attendance. So Abel shows up 
and he, he helps us to understand that what it means to, to shine up rather than just show up. And I, and I think there are three things that we, we can learn from the text here that, that help us to understand what that means. The first thing that we notice is that Abel approaches God with a heart of faith. He comes to God and presents the, his choice meats, his choice, the best of his animals. He recognizes who he is worshiping. His actions display his values. Do you realize that your actions and my actions display what we value? You could, you could take a walk through anybody's house and you can see what they value, right? You know, some, some guys have got the garage or maybe the, you know, the, the hockey team in their, in their room, you know, with all the, the trophies or maybe, uh, maybe you've got, you know, a shelf of cookbooks or, or maybe, uh, you know, you've got a, a safe that's, you know, where you store all the valuable things or maybe you got your gun case. Like you can, we, what we do displays what we value. And so Abel was displaying what he values by his actions. What do your actions demonstrate about what you think of God? And, and maybe a, Let's make it personal. What, what do, do our actions this morning as we come to church display about what we think about God? As we came, the New Testament told us that we're supposed to come to present our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. We're supposed to come to offer God the sacrifice of praise and worship, the fruit of our lips that, that honor God. We're supposed to present to God offerings that, that display the fact that we put, put time and energy into making money and then we, we recognize that that's a gift from God and we present that to Him. We give Him a portion of what He has given to us. This, these are all things that, that, that we're supposed to do when we come. We're supposed to listen to the Word of God and respond to it. And the question is, what do our actions display about what we value? Are your evidence is are your actions giving evidence that you're showing up or you're actually shining up? So that's the first thing that we notice. Abel approaches God with a right heart, with a heart of faith. The second indication that Abel was shining up and not just showing up is that God commends him as righteous. It's uh, it shows up in um, in verse four there. It says God commended his faith. He commended, he, he was commended as righteous. The word commend there is an interesting word because it's a, it's the Greek word that I'm going to mention a little bit later. So keep in mind, this is an important word. It's the word witness, testify. It's, and Paul explains this about how God commends us, how God, how God is pleased with us in Romans chapter four, verses four and five. This is a, this is a really important verse. I like sharing this verse with people when they're first trying to understand what, what, what it means to have a relationship with God. Paul says in Romans 4, when people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they earned. Okay, so many of you work for somebody and you get a paycheck. Now, did your boss come to you and say, hey, got a gift for you this week? You say, no, that's not a gift. I put in time and energy and, and effort and you owe that to me, right? But God says, when... But people are counted as righteous, the next phrase there, not because of their work, but because their faith in God who forgives sinners. So God does 
look at us and say, oh, man, that was really well done. I'm going to I'm going to say that you're righteous because you really looked good. It doesn't work. God command counted it. We're counted as righteous, not because of the work that we do. But simply faith. Faith in what? Faith in Jesus, who was perfect, who lived a perfect life. His perfection is what I need. Because mine isn't good enough. I can't be good enough. I need what Jesus has done for me. Cain showed up and God and expected that God would be pleased. He did his part. He should have been given credit. Abel shows up but he also shines up. His focus is on God. Instead of expecting God to be pleased with him, he's exalting God by faith. He shines up. His focus is adjusted on God, not on himself. And what does God do when people have a come to him with the right response and give him the praise and the honor that's due him? Well, we're going to see that next week in Hebrews chapter 4 verse uh, Hebrews 11 verse 6. He rewards those who diligently seek him. He does reward us, but it's because not because we think we deserve it, but because we are pleasing him because we're giving him the focus that he deserves. And what's the greatest reward that we receive by faith? He declares that we are righteous. So the reason why I can be sure that when I die, I'm going to heaven is because God looks at me as being righteous. Not because I've performed well, because I've blown, you can ask my wife if you if you have any doubts. You can ask some people in this church too, right? Been around, been around long enough. No, it isn't about how good I have been, but I, my confidence and hope and faith is in the one who is perfect, who lived a perfect life and said, I am give, I am giving my life for you. All you have to do is receive it. So now God looks at me through Jesus Christ and says, you are righteous. You are righteous. So we know that Abel was shining up and not just showing up because he approaches God with a heart of faith. He commit, God commends him as righteous. But there's a third, a third way that we know that he was shining up. And that is that he loses his life, but not God's favor. Uh, verse, verse four, at the end of verse four, by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. Abel becomes the first martyr in history. You know that word martyr? Is, uh, comes from the Greek. And, and, and they, take, they took the Greek letters and put them in English. And you know the word that I mentioned earlier about commend, God commended him? It's the word martyreo. It comes from the word martyr. He testified, he witnessed. And a martyr is someone who witnesses by their death of what they believe. They give their life as a testimony to their faith and their confidence in God and what they believe in and what they, what they trust in. Dying because of their, because of what they believe. And he dies an early death, but the testimony of his faith lives on. And God has been pleased to include him in the scripture as somebody that was commended as being faithful. <clears throat> he understood that God was more valuable to him than being alive. Now, you could say, well, he didn't really have a choice to die. But Jesus later talks about the fact that if you do have a choice, choose God over your life anytime. And in Mark chapter 8, verse 36, Jesus says, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? There was a, a missionary called Jim Elliot who died 
67 years ago, two weeks ago. Um, my dad knew Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott was in, when he was in Bible college in Chicago, my dad was actually in Bible college here in, in London. Jim Elliott went to the mission field in Ecuador and along with four other missionaries was killed by the tribe that they were trying to reach. He died because of their faith. But Jim Elliott had, a, had written a diary. In this diary, he says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You see, Cain, Cain was, in, was concerned with, with keeping his life. But in keeping his life, he lost God's favor. Abel was focused on honoring God, worshiping God. And as a result, he lost his life, but not God's favor. If I may apply this to us today, let me ask this question. What good is it to go through all the motions of church week after week and end up in hell? That's a question that each of us needs to be honest. And, and I don't want you to think that we just want you to come out and have a good time and, you know, just to keep you happy because it's not about you being happy, folks. The question is, are you showing up or are you shining up? Because you could show up every Sunday and it's useless. It doesn't accomplish anything. God is not pleased. You need to recognize that when you come to church, we come to shine up. Now, the question is, what, what, do, we, what do we do about that then? So, so what are we supposed to do? Should we just try harder to get better grades with God? Should we just, you know, when you sing, just sing harder? You know, like really do it. You know, when you stay awake, be easier. You know, no, it's got, it's not about being, it's not about trying harder. It starts with your heart. It starts with what's going on in my heart when I, when I show up so that when I show up, I end up shining up rather than just showing up to say, yeah, I was there, been there, done that, got the t-shirt. Don't go through the motions every Sunday. The challenge is not finding a better way of showing up. It's finding a better way of changing our hearts. I can't change your heart and you can't change your heart either. What you need to do is you need to come before God and say, God, I need you to change my heart because it's all about you. It's not about me. It's not about what I can do. You see, Cain didn't need a better offering. He needed a better heart. One that was focused on God rather than himself. And when our heart is shining in the right direction, all the stuff relating to to what it means to show up tends to get sorted out. Like it 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 get it gets worked out. And it doesn't mean that all of a sudden you're perfect. Sundays every one of us come to church and we show up and don't even think carefully about what we're doing. But it starts with a heart. And when your heart has been changed by God, then on those times when you recognize that, oh man, I have not been coming to really respond properly to God, you feel convicted and you want to do something about that. But it begins with God changing your heart. By faith, your heart is changed and then your actions change naturally as you you put into practice what you're learning through faith. And then the Holy Spirit works to help you, to shape you, to become more like Christ. And you make mistakes and and the Spirit helps you to see that was wrong. You need to change here. And then the Spirit helps you here and here and changes your attitude, changes your values, changes the things you think are important. And your life gets shaped to become more and more 
like Jesus Christ. So let's listen and learn from the first martyr. One of the things, first things that we need to do if we're going to live by faith means we're going to take God at his word. We're going to put it into practice, which means working on our hearts. Let's truly seek to worship God. It begins by stopping and not just showing up and going through the motions. But start shining up. Make sure your focus is on him, not on yourself. And if God is convicting you, then respond in repentance. And ask God to change your heart. To make it what he wants it to be. Let me pray for you as we conclude here. And pray for myself too. Father, I understand this issue well because I know what it's like to just show up and go through the motions without having a heart focused on you. We constantly face the battle, the temptation to be like Cain. But we aren't going to change by just trying harder. We don't get commended as being righteous because we work harder, but because we believe. We take you at your word and let that guide our lives. We live with a focus on you. And as we do that, taking steps of faith, no matter how small, your spirit works in us to change us to become more like Jesus. Help each of us to become so overwhelmed by your greatness, your glory, and your goodness that we will want to come before you shining up every Sunday, giving glory to you, not just showing up. We've heard your word today. Help us to believe it and to put it into practice because your son is worth it. And he makes it all possible. In his name we pray. Amen.